Hello and welcome to the Exacerb Decarbonising Gas podcast. My name's Victoria Mustard and I'm the Decarbonisation Strategy Lead here at Exacerb. As the central data service provider for Britain's gas market, Exacerb is committed to helping bring the gas industry together in pursuit of a common goal, decarbonisation of the UK gas network. We want to help plot a smooth path forward and bring the industry together towards this common cause. We believe that hydrogen has a crucial role to play in decarbonising the gas network, and we're lucky enough to be able to work closely with the amazing people and innovative businesses that are pushing hydrogen projects forward. Welcome to Decarb Discussions. I'm Victoria Mustard, and with this episode, I'd like to start with a key fact. Did you know that if food waste was a country, it would be the third biggest contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Krista Stoyle, the Managing Director of Seven Trent Green Power, and we're going to talk about greenhouse gas emissions, anaerobic digestion, and how it can help to decarbonise energy. So first things first, Krista, could you introduce yourself, please? Yes, yeah, thanks very much. Uh, yes, I'm Krista Stoyle. I'm the Managing Director of Seven Trent Green Power, which is the renewable energy uh, division of Seven Trent, um, the FTSE 100 water and waste management company. And could you tell me a bit about what Seven Trent Green Power is, when it was set up and what it's there to do? Yeah, sure. So um, Seven Trent Green Power is broadly about 10 or so years old. It might be a little bit older than that. Um, it was set up um, originally by um, Seven Trent uh, who is a heavy energy user itself. So it requires a lot of energy to run its water treatment and waste treatment sites um, across its regulated sort of monopoly area. And it set up Seven Trent Green Power to uh, do a number of things, uh, but principally to produce renewable energy, um, which uh, ideally could self-supply some of its own treatment sites. So it has um, a self-supply of, of power then to run some of its treatment sites. Um but also to, I guess, use as a as an opportunity to expand horizontally in the technology of um, anaerobic digestion, in particular, which Seven Trent had deployed that uh, technology for for many years, treating sewage sludge to produce renewable gas. So effectively, taking sewage sludge and putting it through anaerobic digestion technology, um, and Seven Trent strategically thought, well, listen, we understand anaerobic anaerobic digestion as a technology. Why don't we expand into sort of non-regulated markets uh, and put different feedstock through that? So you could either put um, food waste or crop waste, so other organic material that when it decomposes, produces renewable gas. And that is then a renewable form of gas to go into our, into our network. Um, so that was very much, a, I guess, driven by a combination of, of its own need, but also a, a market commercial opportunity um, to, to use expertise that it already has. Um, so, Seven Trend Green Power currently has a portfolio of uh, wind farms, solar farms, and some small-scale hydroelectricity generation. Um, and then the bulk of the business uh, that I look after um, takes food waste, principally, um, from local authorities or commercial customers and recycles that food waste into uh, what we call biomethane, which can either be... Um, either be injected into the gas grid directly or or used to fire uh, CHP engines, so combined heat and power engines to produce renewable electricity. Fantastic. And uh, I was talking to Darren Elson from Caden um, about a month ago, and we started talking about anaerobic digestion. And I, I wasn't aware, obviously I've understood anaerobic digestion from a food waste point of view, primarily because I live in Warwickshire and 
uh, you guys uh, are the ones that kind of take all our food waste away and and turn it into gas. Yes. Um, I wasn't aware that that came from existing sort of in work that you do with sewage sludge. Yeah, so the technology is is pretty much the same. Um, so what you're trying to do uh, with anaerobic digestion is mimic, very simply put, very mimic the function of our body. So you take, you know, like we eat it, you digest the food in your stomach, and then you know we uh, we we uh, pass wind, shall we say, uh, and that exactly produce gas and that is exactly what this industrial process does and um, so rather than uh letting food waste for example simply get disposed into landfill where it will rot and we will emit methane then um we effectively in this process try to capture that methane um and rather than uh, 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 letting it escape into the atmosphere um then you actually make good use of it um and inject it into the gas grid where it can get used and then sort of recycled uh, around and methane is about 80 times more potent as a as a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide which is why it's uh, which is why there's such a big global focus there's a global methane pledge for example that was uh, signed by many countries at uh, cop uh, the cop conference in uh, um, glasgow a few years ago um because it's so much more potent uh, and has such a big uh, you know, uh, detrimental impact on on uh, global warming in an ideal world, there would be no food waste, and I would be out of business. In a in a completely ideal world, because then you know, food waste in itself is no good thing for anyone. And um, but the reality is, there will always be food waste. Yeah. And what we uh, and and you know, I guess the rest of us in our in our um, market want to do is to make sure that all of that food waste, every single drop of it, is used to um, to generate renewable energy, rather than it going into landfill where it costs more, far more money to dispose of, but also it's environmentally far worse. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's I think it's brilliant. So, who are your customers in this instance? So, obviously, you're taking the food waste from. I would assume it's it's kind of from a local council. Which ultimately, it's from households. But who are you then? How are you then producing that gas? Who do you sell it to? How does that work? Yeah, sure. So our so so our customers are. Um, both local authorities and also commercial organisations that um, either produce, manufacture food, or are intermediaries um, that then um, you know collect that food waste and and uh, then pass it on to us. So our customers are very much the source of the food waste, and they have the food waste, um, and we provide a treatment solution for them. So um, they would they would typically have options to either. Uh, use us, for example, or one of our competitors um, to recycle food waste into renewable energy, or alternatively, they could just simply decide to dispose of that food waste with their normal grey bin waste, should we call it that way, um, to landfill. But it's increasingly, you know, far more far more cost effective to use a channel like ourselves uh, mm-hmm. to turn it into renewable energy. So they are very much our um, our customers. We have uh, we're very proud to have lots of local authority contracts across um, across the UK. So as you mentioned earlier, we um, treat um, part of Warwickshire's food waste, the part that collects food waste separately from households. So my house is is there, yours is as well, um, and that goes to our facility in Coles Hill, just um, just to the east of um, of Birmingham. Um, but we also have other long-standing local authority relationships with Oxfordshire. So we recycle all of Oxfordshire's um, household food waste, all of Hertfordshire's as well, for example. And then uh, probably about, um, I'd say about 60 to 70% of our um, current fleet of um, anaerobic digestion plants um, that we have across England and Wales are filled with local authority food waste, um, contract waste. 
and the rest is then what we call commercial customers. So coming from food manufacturers um, of varying size and and scale that we then have relationships with across the country. Fantastic. So um, and this might feel like a pointed question, but with all of this great uh, sort of production of gas from waste, we don't really talk about it a lot across the industry. We don't see a lot about it. And I don't think there's a huge amount of that gas going into the network. Yeah. You know why that is and what could we do to get more of this gas onto the network? Yeah, so I think you know, in terms of so, if you look at if you look at um, food waste, so there's there's, um, there's probably only about twenty to twenty five percent of the food waste in the country currently is being recycled in this in this way. So you've got a huge amount of untapped uh, untapped potential there, um, and um, so if you look at the positives, there is legislation that is now in place that um, will at some point in the in in the next few years. Um, mandate all local authorities as well as businesses to separately collect food waste rather than having it all thrown into one sort of mixed uh, mixed bin bag. Um, so that is now legislation as part of the Environment Act. Um, what is taking a little bit longer than I guess all of us had hoped for is for there to be clarity on exactly what is the date by which that uh, or from which that uh, mandatory separation of, of, um, of food waste uh, is going to take effect. So, um, and we don't quite know that yet. So there's lots of lots of organisations in this market who are, I guess, sitting and waiting. Lots of local authorities are sitting and waiting, trying to understand, well, when is that point? Because clearly to try to, or to set up a, a, a collections infrastructure to collect food waste separately takes some time and effort. Um, and the, the, the local authorities, understandably, are trying to balance that with all their other priorities and commitments. And um, uh, albeit, albeit many of them are talking to us and, and no doubt our competitors as well um, to understand the, the the kind of the treatment solution we offer. And it's and it's very clear it's kind of the best treatment solution out there for for food waste separately. So I think the biggest single thing we could do is try to increase the amount of renewable gas coming from in particular food waste recycling into the network is that um, uh, policy clarity um, that we need from government of when actually they are going to be mandating this uh, from so it has slipped a few years from from a couple of years ago and um, but we are still expecting it to happen it's a question of when not if yeah i see i see a lot of that at the moment there seems to be quite a lot i don't think this is tied up in the energy bill as such but there's there's a lot of discussions a lot of policy discussions going on at the moment lots of consultation but it's that kind of final hurdle of a decision yes. with it Let's get the decision and then we can start to, to make Yes, it. exactly. And there's a definite sense, ourselves included, but also lo- lots of other um, uh, companies in our sector, you know, we are, we're raring to go. Um, it's just that to, you know, to, to, for example, if you want to build a new anaerobic digestion plant, it takes time, money, um, and, and, and a fair amount of planning and forethought. And really, you only want to do that if you have some sort of security of the feedstock supply, so the food waste supply that you're going to put through it. Otherwise, you end up having an empty plant, which is which is no good for anyone. And so there's a little bit of a sort of chicken and egg relationship on that. And um, we don't need to wait, wait necessarily for the full clarity, but we need to have a bit more clarity than we have now um, before you start then uh, considering kind of deploying capital, investing money in something that sh- will be there for decades to be able yeah. to treat food waste. Absolutely need that that sort of strong direction, even if it's yes. not a yes or no. This this is where we're going. This is where we're heading. This is when it might at least be made. Yes, uh, that sounds that sounds fairly familiar, uh, particularly with the conversations we have around hydrogen and what, what's happening with hydrogen. I'm not going to drag you into the hydrogen versus electricity debate. 
Um, but um, one of the things we have certainly seen, or that I've been quite fascinated, but I'm not the engineer. As you know, I'm not an engineer in any way, shape or form. But a lot of the conversations we're having with uh, potential hydrogen producers is looking at uh, how we start to pull utilities together. So if you have a hydrogen production facility, part of the um, things that they produce is actually excess oxygen. Well, actually, if you've got a sewage site, excess oxygen is, is something that you really need to help start to put, put the sewage through. Create hydrogen, you need water and electricity. So how do we start to manage those conversations and how, in your view, can we start to pull the different utilities together to start to really plan this out to ensure we can get to 2050? Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, it's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Um, so I think there's probably a number of strands that I would say that need to be put in place. Um, firstly, if you start sort of the most macro level, um, there is it's coming back to that sort of policy clarity, long-term direction clarity of the country um, because uh, it requires capital, requires long-term planning and thinking, and you're only going to get private sector investment and capital flowing into something that has a fair chance of making making a reasonable return. Um, so I think that that is number one really important. Secondly, then, um, it's about bringing those different players together. So ourselves, other utility players, um, and that's where organizations like yourself and doing podcasts like this can really help to try and um, foster that shared understanding. But bringing bringing groups um, and, and different parties together to, I guess, understand our respective uh, starting points today, the realities of what we're what we're facing today. We're all trying to, I guess the analogy I've got, we're all trying to enter into the same room, but from different doors. And so if you can try and understand which door you're coming in from, there's a better chance of trying to then meet uh, meet up. Um, and thirdly, I'm a, I'm a big believer in sort of starting small and starting in sort of local clusters and then scaling from there rather than trying to say, right, let's let's roll something out from day one on a national scale. That that um, is is generally quite challenging. Whereas yeah. if you start locally on partnerships, then you have a really good, a, a much better, more effective way of a building relationships with between different um, different businesses um, who are involved in the same thing but on different parts of the value chain, and you're able to then start. You know, investing some money but maybe smaller scale to start off with is dipping your toe in the water getting a feel for it understanding what the risks are without deploying too much risk and too much commitment on something that isn't necessarily then you know guaranteed to work um so i think that cluster approach and we see that in the hydrogen in the hydrogen uh, sector where you we, we've got a number of hydrogen clusters kind of in the process of being developed uh, across the uk generally i think they tend to be more northern northern england with with links to the north sea uh, which makes complete sense, but following that model, I think, is 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 really important. Thank you. So um, I'm going to ask you to gaze into your crystal ball now. Um, but let's say we, we're kind of getting towards sort of 2030, 2040. What does the future look like for Seven Trent Green Power? Mm, yes. Um, so we uh, are. Well, I guess first thing to say is we're here for that long term. So we uh, we we definitely tend to still to exist and to still be part of the Seven Trent uh, Group. Then um, and that's the fantastic thing about the the being part of the Seven Trent Group is that Seven Trent isn't going anywhere. It's going to continue supplying water and treating waste, and hence Seven Trent Green Power will always be part of that part of that group. And um, uh, and we want to continue being a leader in the food waste recycling sector. 
So we are one of the leaders now and we want to continue as we expect the market to grow. We want to grow with that and grow and grow our share commensurately um, with with that and and cover more, uh, provide our services more uh, uh, than we do, uh, I guess, today across the whole of uh, England and Wales. So we want to do that. We're also looking where where possible on uh, expanding our solar and wind, uh, solar farms and wind farms. So whether that's using sort of seven Trent land that is available that isn't needed for for kind of the regulated core regulated business or whether it's with external partnerships, but we see opportunity there uh, and we've got skill sets to run that and we understand how to how to build and run them and and uh, and do that well. So it's very much growing as the 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 overall market for renewables grows, um, but also in those sort of uh, segments where we are are particularly uh, capable and have got the skills such as anaerobic digestion is very much to be a leader. And of that market and that's very much our sort of strategic ambition thank you so final question uh we give this question to everybody uh this all gets a bit fairyland but uh we give everybody a magic wand uh, at the end of the podcast it's you have one wish you can wave that magic wand around anywhere uh what would your one with you could if you could make any change overnight what would your one wish be to, to kind of move this forward um, so automatically, I went to two wishes, but um, so I, I won't. I won't say one of them because we've talked about it already, which is the sort of policy clarity. So that's. Um, I think the other big wish, uh, which I know is in train, but it's the um, it's the topic of grid connections into the electricity grids. So I know we're talking about gas here, and I think that's slightly less problematic. But if you think about renewables as a wider as a wider topic, then the speed of connecting new renewable assets into the power grid. Um, can often be quite challenging, lengthy timeframes, uh, etc. So um, I think if we could clarify that and try and speed that up, and I know a lot of work is ongoing to do that, and 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 you start to see some of that um, uh, bear fruit, then that would make a big that would make a big difference. On the flip side, I think that um, you know that in the uh, context of there being longer timeframes of connecting assets onto electricity grid, it creates more opportunity to think about gas renewable renewable gas generating assets. Um, and so therein lies an opportunity for the gas uh, community to kind of step up and and use that almost as opportunity. And we're certainly thinking about that as well. Fantastic. That was a great answer. Thank you very much. It's an exciting time for the gas industry at the moment. And decarbonisation is a fundamental part of how we move forward. If you'd like to keep up to date, we have a great range of resources for the gas industry that you can access. This includes our monthly delivering decarb newsletter, which covers topical issues of the moment our monthly working groups that we'd love you to get involved with, an intranet for industry containing more detailed information about person and projects, an online resource hub on exaserve.com that contains blogs, podcasts, information packs, videos and more. Thank you for listening and I hope you tune in next time. <laughs>